Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How are everybody feeling tonight? <laughs> Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. All right, so I'm just going to pray us in until <clears throat> we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always, Father, giving you all the glory and honor for bringing us together, Father, to be on one accord, Father, with one heart, one mind, one spirit, one agenda, Father, hallelujah, one family, Father, to learn more, Father, of you, to learn more of our brother, to learn more of ourselves, Father, in Christ, this identity, this family that we have, Father, to learn more, Father, about your will and, Father, in your kingdom, Father, as we continue to pray it to come and for it to be done, Father. Father, I pray that you, Father, have already um, had the Holy Spirit to prepare the hearts tonight to receive the word that's coming forth tonight, Father, by the leading and guidance of your Holy Spirit. May each and every person receive exactly what you want them to receive, Father. And may it be planted in the good soil of their hearts, Father, as our hearts is for you, Father. And we are operating under one heart, Father. So, Father, we, we praise you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the glory, Father. And we love you, Father, as you first loved us. In your mighty and precious name, amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> Um, this one has been a um, long time coming because I've actually been working on this um, probably for a couple of months now. But uh, the Holy Spirit finally allowed me to release it, to share this word for you tonight. And I actually have to break it down into two parts. So this is going to be Healing 101, Sacred Cow. And the Sacred Cow that we will be covering tonight is Humanity and the Human Nature. So this is part one. <laughs> Now, I know, I mean, just looking at it, humanity, what, sacred cow, yes it is. Um, human nature, it's a sacred cow. And I hope and pray that I deliver enough information, um, scripture-based um, understanding as to why the human nature is actually a sacred cow that needs to be killed um, in the church. All right, so first we'll start off with a little bit just a little bit of um, history as to where sacred cows, the term, the phrase came from. So sacred cows come from uh, devout Hindus. Um, they believe cows are sacred animals and should never be harmed. They would not kill or eat them. In India, a large population of cows wanders freely through both rural areas and city streets, undisturbed by millions of hungry and malnourished people. These people will starve and die before killing a cow. The figurative use of the term sacred cows refers to a project or process that is immune from tampering. You can't touch it. Can't change nothing, meaning it is what it is and cannot be changed under any circumstances. So again, using Curry's Blake definition of sacred cow pertaining to uh, Christianity is a sacred cow is a belief or a tradition that is held regardless of the truth. One that keep people in bondage. It allows sickness, disease, and death to be accepted. 
So in other words, you are holding on to something so precious to you that is outside the will of God. He did not say it. It cannot be found in scripture anywhere, or it can be, but no longer applies because it is of the old covenants and or the law that was done away with. So you put yourself under the law of Moses. Doing so allows the enemy to reign in your life and keep you in bondage. This is a problem in the body of Christ. So sacred cows are not just pretending to health, but everything, prosperity, growth, finances, relationships, um, friendships, you know, marriages, family, etc. But for tonight, I'm just going to focus it more in the healing aspect. And of course, there's so many sacred cows. Like you could have personal sacred cows that got nothing to do with anybody else. So I'm only touching those that pretty much has something to do with everybody. But I want you to keep in mind as, as I'm teaching and you're listening and, and learning to think about what sacred cows you may have because at the end of the night, at the end of the teaching, I will have a demonstration. And these book bags over here is gonna represent your sacred cows which are burdens in your life that you're gonna release tonight. All right, so can I have a, yeah, there you go. So this is a picture of a Hindu lady uh, worshiping a cow right here. Literally giving in uh, praise and reverence. So just as the Hindus would starve, live malnourished lives, and even die before bringing any harm to their sacred cows, so will we. So tonight I pray that this teaching will reveal to you the importance of killing or getting rid of your sacred cows simply because it is not the will of the Father. They are hurting, hindering, keeping you malnourished rather than helping and prospering you. So our first scripture tonight is coming from John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. This is speaking of Jesus. 23, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Jesus already knew. Nothing we did, nothing they did <laughs> surprised him. So as, uh, he was always able to keep his cool because <laughs> he just wasn't surprised. So question for you. What is your definition of humanity and human nature? Anybody care to share definition to you? Like you don't gotta be like legit um, Webster or anything like this. Like what do you think humanity is, human nature is? Okay, is this humanity or human nature? Human nature, okay. What about humanity? Oh. Okay, good. There's no right or wrong answers. It's, it's all opinions of what you think it is to you.
Okay. And human nature? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, according to dictionary.com, humanity means all human beings collectively, human race, humankind, the quality of being humane, kindness, sympathy, tenderness. Human nature, I got this definition from a website called compellingtruth.org, and it's actually a Christian-based website that actually go into explaining human nature um, pertaining to scripture, like what it says in scripture. So human nature is the assortment of characteristics that constitute and define humanity. Human nature makes us inherently human and distinct from all other creations. Human nature includes the capacity to create, reason, love, and experience a wide range of emotions. Such a capacity is found in no other form of life. Now, these are the American understanding of what these two uh, words are, humanity and human nature, American definition. Now, of course, I'm going to give you what it, what it is in scripture. So we use our human nature as an excuse for everything we cannot do right. We do good. It is the God in us, favor or blessings. We do something wrong. Well, I'm human. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Even regarding our health, you could go a whole year without getting sick and give praise to God. But soon as we become ill or not well, we say things like, oh, well, I'm human. People get sick, you know, totally normal. Not normal. We create problems out of nothing, then involve others in the problems we ourselves create. Yet we say we are human. That's what people do, our emotions. Oh, we have a right to get angry. And we say stuff like, nah, I'm mad at him, her, or them. I'm not going to pray for them. Trust me, they don't want these hands <laughs> being laid on them, right? Wrong. Can anybody show me where it is written that we, as children of God, have a right to be angry with people? So I imagine, as I said that, you probably got two people in mind where you think about expressing anger in, in scripture, Moses and Jesus, right? So we're going to take a look at Moses and Jesus. <laughs> All right, so Moses striking that rock, we know the story, partial. Moses striking that rock out of anger slash frustration caused him not to walk into the promised land. We all know that. He saw it. God showed him, like, this is what I was been trying to get you to. However, he did not experience it. God said that Moses was faithful in all his house. He spoke to Moses face to face, as we know it is written. He showed Moses his ways. Like, he was really close to Moses, yet he forbid Moses from entering the promised land due to disobedience that involved Moses expressing anger. So let's review what, what actually happened. The children of Israel, doing all this complaining to Moses and Aaron, they was led into a very dry place. There was no water, so they was thirsty. 
getting quite dehydrated. And it actually goes to say that Miriam, once they arrive there, Miriam dies. Okay? And it's pretty much where all this complaints start coming out. Okay, so you led us out here to die. Your sister dead, so because we're all going to die too. What are you going to do about it? So Moses and Aaron go to pray to God for a solution to their problem, which is the lack of water. God tells Moses and Aaron what to do. Moses chose to do it another way, still bringing forth the miracle. So what was the miracle? Water flowing from a rock. God said to, God said to speak to it. Moses decided to hit it instead, causing him and Aaron not to enter the promised land. Now, this story is usually taught with Moses in mind. Like, Moses didn't get to see the promised land, but he wasn't by himself and not seeing that promise. <laughs> Aaron didn't see it, too. And as we know, Miriam, she died, so she didn't get to see it either for completely different reasons. But so God wanted to show the Israelites the power of speaking to an inanimated object telling it to do something, and it obeys you because what you told it came from God. But why did the rock still bring forth the water, even though the instructions weren't quite obeyed? That's because God already had that miracle scheduled to happen. God already planned for the water to flow from the rock. He had already had his schedule and plan in eternity for that rock to bring forth water. And it had to happen once he had an interaction with the person God said would bring forth the water out the rock. So not only that, Moses spoke to the rock. He, he didn't speak to the rock, just in a different way. So with how he deals with his actions, you know the saying, actions speak louder than words. So he spoke to the rock with his actions, but that's not what God said to do. So God said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. This whole thing will be found in Numbers, Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. And so on with that. So God, God had to do this to them because he was trying to show them something. But Moses and Aaron, even though Aaron didn't do anything, he was kind of guilt by association at this point. <laughs> he didn't stop it from happening. But God, he don't bring forth miracles out of anger. So he had to punish them in such a way. So Moses nor Aaron entered the promised land. Aaron died first. About two chapters afterwards, Moses dies. And the thing about it is that when Aaron dies, he, he doesn't die of sickness or starvation. You know, he didn't even die of uh, dehydration. It just said that God called Aaron forth to die. Called him up to the mountain, told him, this is as far as you go. And Aaron died. Yeah. And so we wonder why Jesus had no problem speaking to a tree <laughs> or a storm. What did Jesus say? Have faith in God. It's the same thing that God was saying. Like, you didn't, you didn't have enough faith in me 
you didn't have enough trust in me. And because of that, he had to punish them. So Jesus, learning from their mistake, <laughs> do what the Father says. And, he, and Jesus said, oh, you have little faith, when it came to the, to the storm and the disciples. Now, Jesus said he only do what his Father tells him to do. So obviously, the Father told Jesus to speak to the tree and rebuke the storm with the words in which he, he spoke to both. He did just that. <laughs> oh, what about Jesus? Jesus was angry. He, he expressed some anger with people selling things in the temple, right? <laughs> he was yelling, hitting people, flipping over tables. But is that what really happened? Like, how do you know that happened? Is it because that's how it has already been taught? Even though that's not how it was written. So this occurrence is one of a few where Jesus is taught out of character. So let's look at Jesus' situation. Do we have, yeah, so we have angry Jesus, <laughs> flipping over tables and stuff, versus Jesus as his child of God, okay? One of these is, is the real character, the other one is not. So we're gonna look at John. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And can I have my <laughs> brother come up and help me, please, with this demonstration? I need one more brother, too. Thank you. Bless y'all wonderful hearts. Yeah, so this is what the props was for. <laughs> The, the whip. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read what it says first, and then you can, yeah, you sit down, yeah, you the, <laughs> yeah, so, so you got to change, you selling stuff, okay, so um, you got to use your imagination to imagine um, there's animals up here, we got oxen, sheep, and doves, so use your imagination for that, all right, so it says that in the temple, he found people selling oxen, Jesus that is, sheep and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. Express your anger, Jesus. You don't like what you're seeing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Verse 16 says, he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Amen. <laughs> so the same, the same story told in Matthew chapter 21. Oh, Chad, I'm going to need you back. I'm going to need you back. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 14 same story, just told by Matthew. So it said, Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. 
the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. All right, so I'm going to be good, Jesus. The, the good son that he always was and never came out of character. <laughs> okay. So I looked up the Greek word for drove out. This is how we know that he did not express no anger like it's always been taught that he was just so angry and hitting people. Drove out, which is what it said that he did. He drove them out. It means to compel one to depart, to bid one depart. Get up there, okay. In stern, though not violent language, without the notion of violence, to lead one forth or away somewhere with a force which he cannot resist. So this is how this most likely did go. So he see the money changers, there's animals up here. He's making his cord, looking, and he do something like this. He says, it is written, my father's house would be a house of prayer, not you make it a, a, a den of thieves. Leave. Get out. Now, take your, take your animals. Take your animals. There you go. Just, we don't need that. We don't, we don't need this. Yep. There. And after he drove them out, Everybody that was outside that didn't come in because of what was going on, they came in to get healed. That's how that went. Yes, so to be drove out, he done it with no violence at all, no language. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't hitting people. Because the thing about it is that if he did that, then we use that as an excuse for everything. That's why it's taught the way it is to let anger and hitting people be acceptable. And it's not because that's, that's human nature. And Jesus never allowed his human nature to uh, control him. He never had to say so, which I, I, <laughs> I'm going ahead of me. Jesus never stepped out of character from being a son of being the son of man, being led by Christ, the son of God. Christ stayed in control 100% of the time. The human nature never had a say-so. Can we, can we go back to the um, picture? Of the two Jesus. Yes. So this Jesus is, what, is who is being taught in the church which give us an excuse to being angry and hitting people. You know, his disciples, if you read the story, his disciples is, is with him this whole time as well. What would have been their thought to see Jesus, who's always calm and rebuking them for <laughs> trying to burn stuff, and <laughs> but they see him act like that? What would have been his excuse? Oh, I'm human too? <laughs> no, of course not. He stayed in character, representing his father through and through. And he is the example. So when we have our situation like this, you probably find something that you don't like. We are not given permission to express anger. We're not given permission, not like that. You could, for example, <laughs> if you was away, right? Let's say Cindy McKinley, they're away, right? And their kids decide to throw a party unknown to them. They come home early unknown to the kids. They walk in the house. Do they have to go, everybody get out, get out now, get out of my house. 
Probably not. Get out is how that most likely would go. And everybody will respect that stern authority by McKinley and Cindy, and everybody's out. That's how this situation went. It was his authority as the son of God driving out those, these merchants out of his father's house and allowing those outside to come in. That's how that went. Amen. All right, so human nature its not even a thing. <laughs> there are only two natures, the sinful nature and the divine nature. Human nature is not a combination of the two. Because God said you can't be high, you can't be cold. You can't have one foot in, you can't have one foot out. He despised such things. So in the beginning with Adam and Eve, they were not acting like humans. They were God-like beings. So if you take away humanity, the world teaches us that one would be like a robot, emotionless, or like a wild animal. <laughs> My question is, really? Because if we're 100% human, 100% God, if you take away the human, what's left? God side, right? So would we be less compassionate, loving, and kind with 100% God? Would we sympathize less with people being 100% God? Or will we express all those things even more? See, our Father expressed love, anger, kindness, jealousy, all up and through the Old Testament. <clears throat> His judgments, blessings, decrees were all expressed with these same emotions. Does that make him human? No. Human nature is the sinful nature. It is what we know to be the flesh. Flesh. In the Greek, means the sinuous nature of man, the animal nature. Without any suggestion of depravity, the animal nature with cravings which incite to sin, the physical nature of man as subject to suffering. The flesh denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposite of God or opposed to God. So when we speak of human nature, flesh, and sinful nature, it's potato, potato. You're talking about the same thing. The same Hebrew word for man, mankind, human beings, humankind, humanity, human race, and people is the word Adam. So when we speak about humanity, the human race, humankind, all that, you're talking about Adam. And as we know, there's only two families in this planet. The family of Adam, the family of Jesus. Jesus said, Satan has nothing in me. Though made a human, the nature thereof was not in Jesus. Jesus was a whole other Adam who came to do what the first Adam could not, which is start a lineage of gods in the earth, being the first of many brethren. My next scripture is Job, Job chapter 34, verse 14 through 15. And it says, if God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease. 
and humanity would turn again to dust. That's powerful, why? Because if we remove our human or sinful nature, we're 100% divine nature and still live. But if God removed himself, we're dead. <laughs> we're dead. So I know that this can be a hard pill to swallow. We were programmed to understand that human nature is who we are. Our human nature is what separates us from animals. It is why we are the way we are. Without it, we will be ferocious animals or robots. Human nature is not what separates us from animals. The fact that we were made in his image and likeness of God is what separates us from animals. Animals are not made in an image. This was done prior to being put into the earthen vessels, our bodies. Because, see, we forget that in a garden, it is written that God created animals from the dust as well. They have earthen vessels, and he breathed his spirit into the animals as well and gave them a will. We see this with the snake, allowing Satan to use it as a vessel in the earth to do an evil deed. And God cursed the snake for choosing to do that. Animals protect, they provide, they procreate, they express emotions. They express fear, love, joy, anger, and depression. And they use wisdom given to them by God, too. You see, we got a lot of things, a lot of in common when it comes to the animals. <laughs> you would think I'm describing humans, but I'm not. You're really describing animals right now. So my next scripture, Job 39, this is where all this is coming from. I get this, this scripture in my next one explains why I'm saying what I'm saying. So Job, Job 39, verse 13 and 17, it says, The ostrich flap her wings grandly, but they are no match for the feathers of the stork. She lays her egg on top of the earth, letting them be warm in the dust. She doesn't worry that a foot might crush them or a wild animal might destroy them. She is harsh towards her young as if they were not her own. She doesn't care if they die, for God has deprived her of wisdom. He has given her no understanding. This let us know that God gave wisdom to animals, just not this particular one. This is why the female ostrich is the way she is. She lacks wisdom, she lacks wisdom and understanding, making her a terrible mother to her young. Things that make you go, hmm. Because <laughs> if lack of wisdom affects animals this way, surely it affects humans in the same way. My next scripture, I want y'all to read that. We have um, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. Y'all read that.
Right, so as we see, we got a lot of comment with animals. They have the same spirit as it says here. And they both, they die the same as we do, and they both return to the dust. But we don't know where their spirit goes. We can't determine that, but we do know that they have a spirit. And the only person that gives spirit is God. So they couldn't have gotten their spirit from somebody else. <laughs> so animals lack God's image. This is why God said in Genesis, all flesh is corrupt. The word flesh in the Hebrew means man, animals, and all living things. Animals and angels were all made in the likeness of God, meaning they were made with spirit, like a, as a spirit, should I say, in the beginning before, well, these well, animals before they became, before they was put into earthen vessels, they were spirits. Um, but not in the image. So only man was made in the image. We know this must be true regarding animals having spirits because we find in the book of Revelation how there are spirit beings described to be animals that are placed before the throne of God. So is it far-fetched to believe that your pets are animal spirit beings in earthen vessels just like human spirits are in earthen vessels? I say all this to show you that God cares about the creation that has his spirit in earthen vessels, so much so that he takes care of both the men and animals. And in Old Testament, he strove both, both of them. So you always wonder, like, wow, man messed up, but why you got to kill the animals too, Lord? <laughs> because with them having the spirit of God that was corrupted along with the fall of man, all that got corrupted, so he had to destroy the animals as well. Like, he didn't care about the trees. Or the grass or the flowers, he didn't care about them. However, only one of us, Father created in his image and called sons and daughters. So this humanity cow is one we refuse to kill. If we do it, then we have no choice but to confront the sinful nature that we're on purpose holding on to. The nature says flesh must be in control. If the flesh is in control, sin reigns. We need to kill, well, we need, to, we need that cow to justify our actions when they don't line up with the divine nature within us. So we say as human that, you know, I'm human. Uh, of course, I get mad, I get jealous, lustful, envious, greedy. Of course, if someone hurts me or those I love, I'm going to hurt them back. I'll go to war for me and mine. We all have that thing, thinking. And yes, that's very human of us to think like that. <laughs> However, that is not how we are as children of God being taught to do, taught to handle our situations. We are being taught and shown how to do things very opposite. I know you don't want me to kill this cow, but I don't have to because Jesus already did. Jesus never fought anybody, not even Satan. He said, I came to destroy the works of Satan. He didn't say I came to fight Satan and destroy his words. There was no battle. He came and did a job. Satan couldn't stop him from doing it. There was no resistance in a sense that he actually could stop the Son of God from doing what he came to do. So Hebrews, my next scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 15 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, being one percent man and one percent God, chose to submit himself to the nature and authority of the spirit that was within him, Christ. So as we know, Satan tempted Jesus soon after he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. We also know that Satan planned to try again at tempting him at a more opportune time, which he did. Satan had to have done so after the tempting in the wilderness because if not, then this scripture would not be true. Satan attempted to cater to Jesus' human nature in every way, yet Jesus was found without sin. But how? Because he gave up his will. He loved God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. He knew he was of God, the son of God. He knew man's ways are not his father's ways. So he did everything his father's way. He could not have done any of it catering to his human nature. Human nature says it's okay to lie, to kill, to do what pleases you, express anger in a disrespectful way, whatever. That's what our human nature says. My next scripture, Luke chapter 22, verse 28 says, You are they which have continued with me in my temptations or trials. So for Jesus to say this, he must have been getting tempted on a regular. <laughs> Temptation in the Greek means an experiment, attempt, trial, proving. He said, of the temptation by which the devil sought to divert Jesus, the Messiah, from his divine errand. Of the conditions of things or a mental state, humanity, by which we are enticed to sin or to a lapse from faith and holiness. This is what temptation means. So he says, you are they which have continued with me in my temptation. So the disciples was there to witness every time Satan tried to come and tempt him. They saw him. And they saw him not give in. He stayed without sin. Jesus did not live his life from his humanity, from his, but from his divine nature, doing everything in the name of his father. My last scripture for tonight is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. I'm going to read 14 through 16. I'm going to have y'all read 17. And it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. And everybody read 17, please.
18. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. It says, since him himself has gone through suffering and testings or temptation, same word, he is able to help us when we are being tested. One main difference between us and Christ is that we have earthen vessels made of flesh and blood, being human beings, powerless and enslaved to the fear of death. So he had to become like us, become human in every way, flesh and blood, powerless and enslaved to death. He had to die to set us free. Because if he was enslaved to death, then death could not have killed him. So he came as the last Adam, meaning God was not going to create another Adam with a divine nature. The first Adam had it, the divine nature, power, and authority, and lost it all, putting us under Satan's foot. The last Adam, Jesus, came to get it all back, putting Satan back under our foot. Jesus said he did it all in his Father's name, not in his name, not in his power, Jesus that is, not in Jesus' name, not in his power or authority, because as a human being, he had none. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for getting it all back. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So please understand that when you use humanity, uh, your human nature as an excuse for sins, sickness, wrongdoing, you are acknowledging a sinful nature that is still within. So stop seeing it as normal. The human nature is not normal. The, <laughs> not for children of God. Humanity is not an excuse for a sin and sickness. 18 says that because Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testings, he is able to help us when we are going through. So when we are failing, falling short, missing the mark, we have an older brother who sympathizes with us and is here within us to help us in our moment of weakness. So if you're mad, jealous, angry, sad, flipping off at the mouth, has sinful thoughts, dealing with lust, hate, sorrow, laziness, greed, pride, de depression, or whatever. As a child of God, that is not normal. You don't have a godly right to express or be those things. You, you can hate and be angry with Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Absolutely, but that's it. So let Jesus help you with everything else. He understands. We were free from the fear of death. We should be looking forward to it, not afraid of it. Paul said it better. He said for him that he goes. He, he said it's better for him that he goes, but good for them that he stays. He was cool either way. He didn't have the fear of anything in him, especially not death. So as I said Earlier, Jesus did not live his life from his humanity, but from his divine nature, doing everything in the name of his Father. With his help and that of the Holy Spirit, we can too. That is the goal as children of God, to relinquish our human nature to the Father's will. It's not making us animals or robots. Is not being able to think, express emotion, or reason as the world teaches us. That, that's not what that means. 
Surrendering our humanity to him allows us to truly imitate him and conform to Christ. There is nothing human about them, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's nothing human about them. However, we are that of God like them. Only one can be in control. Only one nature can reign. We are one percent human, one percent God. Let's be like our brother Jesus and show the world what a child of God looks like by killing the sacred cow of humanity and, and human nature. And to only be led by the spirit of God, live from the kingdom of heaven and not from this wicked world. Amen. Amen. So the last thing I have for us tonight is um, a prayer that I want us all to pray together. And that would be the end of the teaching. And we'll go into the other demonstration I have. Do I have my, the prayer up there? Okay. All right. So we're going to read this together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is spirit and it is life. We give to you our will that is affected by our human nature and the evil desires of our heart. We give it to you and take your will in exchange. We give up the control of the flesh to be led by your spirit, Christ within us, who gives us life, and the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. We will no longer be led by our feelings or worldly intellect, but by wisdom that comes from above. We will walk by faith and not by sight, this day, Father, we will call upon our brother Jesus. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Our help truly does come from the Lord. We bow down on both knees in reverence of the crown of glory and honor unto, given unto sorry, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For he has truly broken the yokes and lifted the burdens of iniquity and freed us from fear. We lift our hands and receive the leading and guiding of your spirit, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Father. Spirit lead.